0: I V M You're listening to Keeping It Queer with Naveen
1: Narone Hey guys, welcome to Keeping It Queer. My name is Naveen Narona, I'm your host. This is an all things queer podcast and today we have someone from Delhi joining us over call. We have Manak Madiani. Manak is a feminist queer activist from Delhi whose work focuses on sexuality rights, gender justice, violence prevention and sexual and reproductive health and rights awareness. Hi Manak.
2: Hi, thank you very much for having me. How's the weather up there in Delhi? Not as good as in Bombay I think, but not too bad right now.
1: All right. So uh, talk to me about your life, Manak. We always introduce our guests by going back in their early lives and figuring out where the queer element plays into their you know, uh, social understanding of life. So uh, talk to me about your early years in Delhi.
2: Well, I'm born in Delhi, grew up in Delhi, so it's a big part of um, who I am. Mm. I consider myself somebody uh, full Delhi wala. I, I think this, being in this city is a really big part of, like, if uh, I come you to Delhi, you'll be able to show me
1: all the nice places around, right?
2: Yes, and the not-so-nice places also. <laughs> That's what I look for. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I think, um, yeah. So, I think, yeah, so I grew up in an upper-middle-class family. My parents were in the government service. I had one other uh, so I had a pretty regular, uneventful kind of childhood, apart from the fact that, you know, there is a whole lot of stuff to figure out when you, uh, don't conform to what the world thinks you should be in terms of your sexual orientation uh, mm. or how you see your identity. Mm. And I guess that's uh, a bit of a part of uh, how childhood was for me. And it was interesting, uh, I think people keep asking, when do you realize if you were gay? And I, I, it's very automatic. I mean, I, I just say that it, it is always there in the back of your head. You know that, okay, this is how you feel or at least that is how it was for me. And um, I think I saw a disjunct kind of a thing between you know how I was supposed to be outside um, in school you know you, knew you had to walk a certain way you had to look a certain way behave mm-hmm. in a certain way and you get a consciousness of that pretty early on you know that if I sort of you know move my hand like that people yeah. will tease me
1: hiding your you uh,
2: yeah and, and you start teaching yourself exactly how your body should move how you should talk how you should behave mm-hmm. uh, so that so much so that it becomes very automatic it becomes it's not like pretense anymore right like it, mm. it becomes this kind of continuous pretending becomes part of who you are and I think that's what I had to deal with also in my school life mm. uh, home was surprisingly different it's not like my parents were very out there with, they, they were not uh, so I don't think I've ever had discussions around gender sexuality issues with my parents at all but uh, they were surprisingly open in their own ways my uh, I, I mean with all the you know pretend games and the dancing around and you know wanting mm. to be in a certain way and the kind of toys I had uh, really I mean they were very very open and uh, non-judgmental to a great extent about it I don't know mm. if they had their own separate panics in their own room in their conversations they must have <laughs> most of them like, yeah, have like but, a
1: proper they, they hide it away from us but they do have like an anxiety yeah, attack
2: probably and yeah. Uh, yeah so I don't know if they had panic attacks separately in their own rooms and had discussions about it but it never came to me mm. and uh, even at home because we were two brothers uh, okay. there wasn't a really distinct division of you know gender roles in the family I saw, of course, with my parents being a certain way and my mother being in charge of certain things in the house and my mm-hmm. father being in charge of certain things. Mm-hmm. But because they also had, it was very interesting for me. I mean, they had names, they were, their names were, um, you know, very, um, how do I put it, very, very, um, what is that called? Um uh, uh, they could be names of any gender. Both their names, in fact. Yeah. my mother's yeah. name and my father's name, gender-neutral names name, basically. Name. They had very gender-neutral names, so it created a lot of confusion among my teachers. The mail that they used to get. Mm-hmm. So, so it was interesting to sort of grow up in a family which did not really have very, very overt confirmation to stereotypes in the sense of you know what jobs my parents had uh, because mm-hmm. they had the same job. We both used to go out and work, and and you know how people addressed them. So, yeah. uh, so I think that contributed a lot to my sense of comfort in later in life and I okay this is what my identity is I feel differently and that, that can be different
1: All right. so uh, when you introduce yourself Manak you uh, you stress on the feminist part first like feminist queer is mm-hmm. how you identify yourself and uh, you mm-hmm. said that it's a very strong uh, driving force towards understanding your queer identity as well can
2: you elaborate on that mm-hmm. uh, yeah I think um, at some point of time uh, in my sort of education uh, I think school was a kind of a pigeonhole where I had to sort of curtail and limit what I could do and how I would think mm-hmm. because also a lot of concepts are Clear, but college and uh, studying English literature really sort of opened up a lot of new ideas, a lot of new ways of thinking for me. Mm-hmm. I had a fantastic set of teachers uh, in uh, the university, in the college that I went to. Was this? Uh, and I uh, this was at Venkateshwara College in Delhi University. Okay, okay. And uh, I had a fantastic set of teachers in the English department. And I think that's when my first sort of brush with feminism as an idea, as a concept, began. Mm-hmm. And to me, it seemed like it took me back also to my family and said, This seems like the most logical way of thinking yeah. about the world and organizing the world in terms of equality in terms of how things should be in life and uh, I think when I think of uh, you know eventually then from there coming into the kind of work on human rights that I do right now Mm -hmm. and on queer rights issues that I do right now I actually think that it's much better for me as a lens with which I look at queer uh, rights work also to have Mm -hmm. first come to understanding of gender patriarchy and women's rights uh, through the work that I did and through what I read and and the experience that I had So what were some of your Uh,
1: observations with the patriarchy issues that we're dealing with?
2: So from, you know, reading about it in college texts mm-hmm. to actually seeing it from so my, after my finished my graduation, I studied communication. And one of the first things, uh, we had to make a graduation film and the film that we made was about our family. Like me and a friend of mine made a film about our mothers mm-hmm. and about gender relations in the family and that really sort of uh, you know, drove that point home for us to see that, you know, we do think that we are in equal families. That uh, you know, something that my mother said, for example, was that uh she in fact never wanted to get married, but there was a lot of pressure uh from her parents tried to say, you know, if you don't get married, your brothers will not get married, and so you have to get married. So just the kind of choices that women are supposed to make, just the kind of uh, mm-hmm. you know, organizing of the world where uh, whatever is feminine, female is lesser than. Yes. Yeah is something that I think, uh, you know, marginalization, victimization kind of uh, becomes highlighted in many ways right now, particularly mm-hmm. around women's issues, but privilege escapes notice. Yeah. So this really, really, uh, you know, clear consciousness of the fact that I have a privilege because of my gender identity mm-hmm. was something that became very clear to me early on. And I think as a way of approaching whatever I'm doing and whoever I'm working with, uh, that has really been, uh, you know, a, a, a lens with which I have come into the work that I'm doing of saying that you know if uh, you know you are thrown into leadership positions when people are talking about you know how men should come into gender rights and sexuality rights work uh, uh, you yeah. should also recognize that you know sometimes for men to be leaders of this work they just have to not be leaders they have to give up that leadership they have to shut up and listen Yeah. and I think that lesson of shutting up and listening to many women and what they were doing and saying around me was very very uh, useful for me.
1: Yeah and you made a very interesting point earlier because uh, one might assume that because we are gay men that we have a natural mm-hmm. tendency to, uh, you know, look at women and be uh, moved by their uh, whole, you know, the whole downfall of the way the women have been treated. So, you know, at the mm-hmm. same time, there are gay men in our community who also do not like subscribe to feminism they'll be directly like these women Mm -hmm. are not allowed here they're not in our space you know that that also happens very vehemently nowadays so do you have some thoughts on that? I remember a couple
2: of years back I remember at a pride march party like we do this pride party every year in Delhi Mm -hmm. and um, I remember like this is a few years back actually but at a pride march party one of my women friends who was there suddenly somebody turned around to her and said oh what are women doing here Mm -hmm. and so there's automatic assumption that gay men will automatically be more sensitive to women women's rights issues and women's this uh, mm-hmm. is not true. I think a lot of gay men are very, very clear about their own victimization, but absolutely blind about other kinds exactly. of, you know, privilege that they have and other kinds of oppression that they create in the world. Exactly. So, um, and and I think that's important to recognize and place out there because I don't think just because this this whole arena of queer identities is a very gender just one automatically.
1: So, what are your thoughts on
2: inclusion overall? Like, you do have a mm-hmm. lot of uh, thoughts on that. You said, yeah. So, I mean, inclusion means many, many different things actually and uh we've sort of done a lot of you know when we are in this I, I work in the development sector and jargon is one of the big things that we have to deal with mm-hmm, yeah. uh, my uh, sort of the lucky thing that I have is I work with young people and it's always about using the simplest easiest language that you understand and I think uh, in language one has gone around thinking of you know acceptance versus tolerance and all of those things but I think um, there are two ways in which I understand inclusion one is what are systems that will actually just you know put the onus of everybody being part of something that is happening not on that person but on systems around that space so when we talk about say disability for example the onus of fitting in or being able to access a space is never on the disabled person or the person who is uh, you know physically different. Mm-hmm. but the onus is on the space being comfortable enough for anybody who has different kinds of uh, needs to yeah, be able to yeah. access
1: it yeah. uh, and, and I think stairs are the within within worst in the, general yeah. I don't like stairs myself Yeah, I would like to like skate yeah. everywhere like no just like put me on wheels <laughs> I can just like skate and roller bait my way to life that would be so much easier. Yeah.
2: And that would be so much easier. So and everybody an can do parkour one. and stuff like that, you
1: no? Know? Like, <laughs> if, you, if you watch like Fail Army videos on Facebook, you know like stairs are the worst enemies for everybody. So not mm-hmm. only like mm-hmm. <laughs> like kids and old people and young people, everybody falls on stairs. So let's just do away with mm-hmm. stairs is what I say. And then make everything accessible <laughs> for
2: everybody. Isn't that the best? Yeah, absolutely. And it's been also interesting to look at, uh, you know, within this kind of gender and queer rights space there are many many different groups that also exist so you know there are spaces that are just for women Mm -hmm. and it always turns around this whole thing of you know not all men turns around and say that you know but men are excluded from women's coaches which I find a really stupid argument (laughs) Uh, so I think that's uh, something to watch out for like it was very interesting for uh, me to go to a queer rights group's uh, you know anniversary celebration and they said we want to be an inclusive group Mm -hmm. that uh, is for women I include trans women because they identify as women now includes you know women who are assigned female or people who are assigned female gender at birth because it wants to be inclusive because they were assigned female gender at birth there mm-hmm. is certain kind of experience that you have as a woman Correct. that can be uh, you know significant for you and so how do you really open yourself up to have multiple people of diverse identities and experiences add value instead of you know just like bitch about each other <laughs> about yeah, your yeah. On your show. You use all the faces it's you something- want an
1: uncensored show so so <laughs> fuck the patriarchy I say <laughs>
2: yes Absolutely
1: Yeah So you know like uh, Even in Bombay When I when I usually Travel by local trains here And uh, mm-hmm. here they have Reserve compartments For mm-hmm. women right. And uh, and one of the main uh, Issues that men Usually have in the city Is that Why mm-hmm. do we need A separate coach And if they come In dental compartment Then then why do they Want space over here Why do they want To stand mm-hmm. comfortably I'm mm-hmm. like You yeah. stop groping Each other first And then talk about <laughs> Keeping the women safe You know So it begins well. with that And while like There'll be uh, uh, You know uh, Trans persons who, who beg for money in the trains and immediately mm-hmm. it becomes a reason for everybody to giggle at the same time. So I'm like, what right. is this weird boys' club that men have formed in their own compartment? It's surprising. Like they yeah. have this mental connection that is like oh, we are about everybody who comes into this compartment. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. And this boys' club is also for a certain kind of boy, right? Like, who yeah. fits into this ideal definition of you know others ladka
0: yeah. who yeah. will
2: be you know presenting as male, who will not be feminine, who will not be any of these things. Exactly. And um, yeah, and, and access to that club is very very limited. And I think exactly the same in Delhi when the metros. Started, mm-hmm. it was like you know there is one women's coach, but uh, the assumption was that there is not one women's coach. There are these other five men's coaches. Mm-hmm. So any woman who walks into any of them was told, you know, why are you here? Yeah, if yeah. you have to complain about harassment, go to your own coach. Yeah.
1: So uh, so yeah. The favorite thing is when like these guys do travel in the women's coach, and then there are cops mm-hmm. who slap them all day night. Like you know, have you seen those videos? Mm, yeah, a few. Uh, yeah. So basically, like these cops are standing outside the station, and when these uh, women, uh, you know, like they push all the men out because they know they're standing. And they just get slapped mm-hmm. on videos, <laughs> and the moment the police <laughs> pulls the video out, I think it's, it's a good way to clap back at that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So moving on from there, you're also responsible. Like recently, in the past three years, you've worked with YP Foundation. So yes. can you tell me more about that?
2: So uh, a lot of my work, uh, I've sort of arrived at working on gender and sexuality as a profession. I think I'm one of those lucky people who does what they really like doing for uh, money, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I think that's what I have really found uh, myself doing at the YP Foundation and some of the other jobs that I had most of my work has been with young people on issues of gender and sexuality on facilitating young people's leadership on those issues yeah. because I think fundamentally I believe that um, education on uh, you know just understanding diversity and being kind to each other fundamentally should start very very early on and if that happens there will be a much better world that we can sort of create for everybody else who comes to it even later and I think the YP Foundation what we're doing basically he is trying to. Give a feminist, human rights-based lens to young people, with which they can go out and see what they want to really change about the world mm-hmm. and start doing it. A lot of this work is focused on. So we run comprehensive sexuality education programs, we run life skills programs, uh, and the idea is for young people to be able to engage with diversity, to be able to take action, mm-hmm. to be able to really sort of you know do something about the world they want to see so, uh, uh, for themselves.
1: I'm just like getting this clarified. Like, do you all go to colleges and reach out to young students, or like do they come to you? How does it work?
2: Works both ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, we. Do go to colleges reach out do campaigns we typically work in a way where um, you know young people volunteer with our programs and mm-hmm. we train young people to go to different kinds of communities so colleges we work in institutional care homes we work in urban slums we work in rural areas in Bihar as well mm-hmm. and the idea is for different kinds of young people to come in contact with the organization and start taking action in their own communities awesome. So, it's not like the only college students work with us but it's also the rural young people uh, people from urban slums who work with us as leaders and as participants of programs that we run mm-hmm. yeah and we see our kind of in the middle of uh, you know we are an NGO but we are ourselves in the middle of activism and the development sector to sort of bridge that gap between young people who don't know what is going on in movements and activism in the city where in the last say three years at least in Delhi mm-hmm. uh, a lot has happened in terms of young people just being part of a lot of protest action a lot of movement building mm-hmm. on issues of you know gender sexuality bodily autonomy mm-hmm. uh, and the right to sort of just claim your space publicly yeah, and privately yeah. and and like the DU uh,
1: atmosphere is very well known to the world like in terms of being politically charged or with the student body unions and uh, mm-hmm. the queer identity and all these issues also play a major role in that activism uh, mold over there
2: um unfortunately not in the uh, in the current politics as such. And I think Delhi University as a space can be as homophobic as any other space. Yeah, and that is actually. like the right
1: space to actually now challenge that, don't you think? Like yeah. in, in a in a yeah. In a college yeah atmosphere and what is very, like very
2: inspiring is that there is a whole bunch of young people who have started, you know, different kinds of queer. So almost every university in Delhi now has a queer collective. IIT has one, Ambedkar yeah. University has one, Delhi University has one.
0: Yeah.
2: And it's really great to see so many young people who are getting together on campus talking about their identity creating that kind of space where you know more and more people can have this conversation Mm -hmm. and I I think back to when I was coming out when I was sort of dealing with this uh, you know on university campus or anywhere else it was this continuous feeling of you know am I the only one is there anybody else like me and um, you know in that uh, seeing there are now so many different spaces that are making this issue more visible is uh, you know like very inspiring for me also when I work for young people who are doing this work yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah,
1: so when I was in college I felt the same way like am I the only one and I came out to a few friends mm-hmm. in college until I mm-hmm. found grinder and I found a professor also on it so I'm like okay I'm not alone mm-hmm. he's also there with me on this <laughs> clearly
2: you went to college many years after
1: I did because there was no grinder around when I was in college yeah, yeah I'm, I'm young that way <laughs> awesome so let's take a small break and we'll be back and discuss the Delhi Pride Yeah Okay Awesome I'm here keeping it queer With Manak from Delhi Uh, We'll be taking a small break And we'll see you on the other side Welcome back to Keeping It Queer. I'm here in conversation with Manak Uh Manak is a feminist queer activist from Delhi who spoke to us in the first half about his many uh, trysts with the student body unions who are working together to to understand gender binaries and sexuality in, in general. Uh, how did the uh, work with Delhi Pride begin, Manak?
2: So I came into the Delhi Pride work much later than when it began. The Delhi Pride is now, I think it's in its 11th year now. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's interesting, it's a pride march. I, I really loved sort of being part of it for the last about Four five years I've been part of organizing Delhi Pride. I've been part of the volunteer group, and how it works is a large group of volunteers who come together for meetings and then are on this you know big amorphous kind of Google group together mm-hmm. having conversations, fights, disagreements, and agreements about how to organize this Pride March every year. Yeah,
0: yeah,
2: and um, basically, uh, it is a completely uh, citizen funded, like completely people funded Pride March, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, you know, this group of volunteers that comes together just to organize this Pride. Pride March and Pride related activities over that month mm-hmm. organized in the city. Mm-hmm. And I had been attending Pride like since the first Pride, which a friend had was going to and he just pulled me with him and I just randomly ended up being there uh, so I just sort of went along with the and ended up with the first Pride March that happened in the city mm-hmm. and since then I've attended almost every Pride March that has happened over here and uh, when I finally sort of discovered how one could go about being actually part of this kind of space and organizing this mm-hmm. I was quite excited I think it was 2012 that I first got into the organizing 2011-12 mm-hmm. uh, uh, around that time
0: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, yeah it's uh, something that gives me a lot of joy I think it's also something where I see continuously a lot of new people coming up and taking leadership every year uh-huh. and so you get to learn from like a whole bunch of people who are doing this kind of work and are invested in it in the great amount of fashion and
1: uh, what has been your learning through all of these like what are the biggest challenges a pride organizer or committee feels did have to go through
2: uh, agreeing on something <laughs> <laughs> between
0: this large group yeah
1: one it might is assume one that just because LGBT we all just like sit in a room and we're all like friends Yeah. but uh, the yeah. claws come out the claws do come out
2: they do come out and a lot of these you know I think it's like a microcosm for how you take like principled decisions in the world I feel because yeah. a lot of discussion around you know whether organizations should be involved or individuals should be involved whether we should have corporates as part of pride whether we shouldn't have corporates mm-hmm. what is the kind of organization that can do this who should be on stage how should we ensure representation of different people. Yeah. What all the issues will we take up? Yeah. Uh, a lot of that kind of discussion happens. So, you know, uh, what is great for me about the Delhi Pride March is that mm-hmm. we are not just discussing uh, LGBT issues or you know queer pride or queer rights issues, mm-hmm. but we are discussing which are the other groups that we will align with. Will we have Coca Cola at our Pride March because Coca Cola is oppressing people somewhere else? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, so really sort of thinking through all of these things. And I, you know we come to some revolutions every year, or we don't come to certain some resolutions every year. Or Around this, mm-hmm. but just keeping intact the space to have all of these challenging conversations with yourself and with other people, mm-hmm. I think it's fairly important for an activist group like this. Yeah, uh, it's an interesting point you
1: make because right now there's a photo being shared on uh, Facebook where Beyonce is being accused of like paying sixty seven cents to like uh, women mm-hmm. in Sri Lanka to make her products and stuff like that. And uh, mm-hmm. people are just like mm-hmm. arguing about that. And because Queen Bee is like a diva for so many gay men, do we stop mm-hmm. subscribing to her music? That's like a yeah. ethical question right now
2: yeah and I think a lot of like I see I was uh, you know much younger when I started engaging with the pride as an organizer and I see more and more young people doing that mm-hmm. and I think the idea is this should really be an inclusive kind of space where people who are just trying to find mm-hmm. uh, you know queer spaces in the city can mm-hmm. come to can be themselves in and can actually do something that is, you know for themselves and for other people that gives them a sense of um, you know identity gives them a sense of pride around the fact that they're doing this uh, mm-hmm. it definitely gave that to me mm-hmm. and which is why I continue to engage with that space and be part of it despite all the many fights that we have and the you know bitching and the uh, hours of uh, debates and discussions uh-huh. uh, it does keep me energized in that way
1: awesome and like apart from the pride committee work and everything else you do uh, outreach wise what do you do your personal life what, what does it involve
2: my personal life, uh, between like loving, living, doing my job, I don't think there's much of a personal life left. Um, uh, yeah, I think unfortunately, I mean, gone are the days when we used to write hobbies in school textbooks. Now everybody's hobby is vegetating and watching YouTube. Yeah. That's pretty much what I do that makes total in my sense. free time.
0: Yeah,
2: uh, that's pretty much what I do in my free time. I um, yeah, uh, I think I do like occasionally getting out to different parts of the city, which I have perhaps not seen yet. Mm-hmm. and i think i love the Delhi metro i like to sort of sometimes just get on it and land up in a different part of the city and see what it's like mm-hmm. uh, and and that's what i i like being in the city i like walking around in cities and that's what i try to do when mm-hmm. i have any free time um yeah and
1: what are the like uh, cultural spaces that you have in Delhi right now that we can check out if you want? Like, for example, which is inclusive for queer people as well, if you had to recommend some?
2: Mm-hmm. I don't know immediately what is happening, but something or the other is on all the time. There are many now organizations or groups that are doing something. I know that there is a bi-collective that is organizing some meetings and a reading group. Mm-hmm. There is a queer Muslim project which is organizing stuff on intersectional identities of, you know, understanding Islam and queerness together. Mm-hmm. There is uh, the Reli Pride Committee which is organizing its own set of activities which does it every, you know, and standard point of time in a year and there are many organizations that are also doing so the YP Foundation is one but there are also many other organizations uh, art projects that keep doing something or the other in the city Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the most exciting of this for me is the many things that keep happening on campus in terms of performances protests um, you know just like support meetings that keep on happening uh, at any point of time I think every university has a support group that is doing something or the other Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah so I I think what is lacking right now, and what I what would be great is to have like organized information about all of this somewhere.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, and I think one has to go and find you know, the only organized information, unfortunately, which is available is about uh, you know gay parties that happen. Exactly. <laughs> at Light in the city, <laughs> almost every other day. Uh, I would like for other kinds of spaces. And people love turning be- up for them, don't they? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I'm like, uh, you know, Simran from Dil Bale, I do so I have no idea what is happening in these parties, it's the one party I go to every year is the side right party. You it's know, you know what I would say to plug-in. I would say, <laughs> yeah. Ja
1: Simran, Ja Apni Zindagi. <laughs> I
2: know, I should. <laughs> Follow that a little bit Awesome, awesome
1: So thank you Manak For joining us today It was really refreshing Talking to you And getting your perspective I hope you continue Doing your work And uh, if you do uh, Want to reach out To more people uh, Like you know Like do talk to more people Through our show Then Mm -hmm. that's amazing You can always come back To Bombay And have a live recording With us You're always welcome here Sounds excellent Awesome
2: sounds great Thank you so much For
1: having me And if someone Wants to reach out to you How can they connect With you on social media I am on
2: all the social media There are I'm not very active On Twitter My handle is uh, Daffi Wala. Okay. uh, From the song, Uh, that's what I am on Twitter and Instagram, and I'm on Facebook with my name. So yeah.
1: Awesome. So happy to
2: connect with people who reach out. Cool,
1: cool. Thank you so much, Manu, again for joining us. Uh, We'll see you after the break with the Culture Vulture segment. Bye.
2: Don't go anywhere. The Keeping It Queer podcast will be back with the Culture Vulture segment featuring Farhad right after this break.
1: Welcome back to Keep It In Quiet. It's a Culture World segment Farad is here Hi And I'm Naveen Narona Hi And uh, you know like Over the past few weeks Farad I have to confess I've been struggling to give up marijuana Oh my god Yeah it's like been one of my uh, greatest allies in the past few years.
3: Ugh, I know that feeling all so, too well.
1: Yeah, so much so that, like, I've told my mom straight up after I came out, I was, like, I'm also a stoner. Like, but, <laughs> I have an entire bit now on that, like, okay. you know, on coming out as a stoner as well. Huh. And, you no, know, like, it's it's good. Like, even right now, I'm wearing these socks, which have marijuana leaves yeah, on them. Yeah, yeah. Priyanka, please take photos of my socks uh. For later <laughs> use And, you know, like It's it's good to be Why do you want to give it up? Because Now I've been going on stage sober Like, mm. and I'm standing on stage for an hour's time Okay And you can feel the difference Yeah And also because Like, I've learned things about Centering myself Before going on stage Okay And being in the zone Being in the sure, now Sure, sure And marijuana usually, like Leads to escalated thoughts Where I'm just, like I'm thinking five jokes down the line Sure Instead of enjoying the one sure. I'm doing right now Yeah So, I mean, like It's good to have, like, that in the back of your mind it's recreation once in a while it's good but like it becomes more than that like then you crave for a joint every now and then and and, you know
3: you know I've been there Yeah, I I was a stoner for 10 years and Mm. Uh more than ten years easily. Uh I remember while my friends are like, Oh my god, dad say alcohol churaya mm-hmm. I was like side may rolling or joint because <laughs> I just saw my friends how they would puke and like cry over a girl after getting drunk. drunk yeah. And I was like, That's not me. In that respect uh,
1: I still have respect for my. <laughs> uh
3: no, I totally never I don't drink still. Uh but over the years, I became such a chronic stoner. Yeah. I was a wake and bake, uh, b- reached office, lunch ke pehle bake, then chai ke saad bake, mm-hmm. and then left office bake, mm-hmm. just about to leave office bake, then yeah. reached home, and then four five with your roommates. Yeah. And so I was there, but uh, one year, six months since I smoked, mm-hmm. and uh I'll tell you what. I'll give you a reality check, right? Nothing changes, okay? You think life gets better, you'll be more functional, you'll be more this, nothing changes. It starts to funk. But... You'll start dealing with life way better. Like, mm-hmm. whatever, if shit comes your way, you'll just, your reaction or the way you respond to it will yeah. be entirely different. The
1: second day of quitting, I had like an anxiety attack, like, no one's
3: business. Like, yeah. I haven't had one. I had smoked so so to a long. point where I would take a drag and I would get a panic attack. I would just break into a sweat. But then, you know, actually, just uh, throwing out a recommendation while at it, uh, there's a new show on Netflix called Explained. Mm-hmm. Uh, watch the first episode of it. It's entirely about, my, it's by Vox. Uh, mm-hmm. Vox is doing a show called explain on yeah, Netflix they, they don't YouTube they also take, but smaller videos yeah but now they uh, it's a proper show on Netflix the first episode is about marijuana and yeah. they talk about how now that the research is out because marijuana is just legalized uh, yeah. getting legalized very lately and all and you will learn about how much like how much abusing it it's mm-hmm. a great uh, because in that sense I still miss marijuana mm. just unwinding or relaxing or whatever yeah. uh, but uh, I guess I abused it to a point where I cannot smoke it again yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah it does cause a lot of paranoia a lot mm. of psychosis uh, anxiety related yeah. issues uh, if your parents suffered from anxiety and you're down on marijuana it can really mess you up yeah. so being there I wish you the best of luck man <laughs> so I,
1: know, I won't ever Give want to up. abuse
3: it so much yeah.
1: that then I hate it like
3: you do yeah. like you I can.
1: I still want to go back to it a month from now and be like, "Hey, I enjoyed this," yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And but the kicking the butt part is the most difficult because Shit. then you're like tempted constantly and all of that. Yeah. Uh, so tell me something it's that okay. will take you my mind You just need off. a
3: little perspective change. That's all. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So speaking of marijuana, <laughs> I will. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So a lot of times, you know what shows do? Like uh, shows try to be trippy, so it's a Stoner show or something. Mm. But for the first time, like weeds. Weeds was like uh, We spoke about Orange is the new black The same guy right Genji Kohan yeah, yeah, The same yeah. creator I thought it was like Urban poppy In a cute way I mm-hmm. loved Weeds back then When it, I was also Very vested into the sons uh, So uh, I found Weeds To candy floss Urban mom You know Soccer mm-hmm. mom Kind of like yeah. comedy And I did enjoy it back then uh, I was really into her sons As they grew up <laughs> Both of them yeah. uh, But And uh, came
1: around At the same time Breaking Bad was around So like they, I think in many ways people looked at it like oh they're doing the same formula but with a yeah. urban mom
3: yeah yeah and uh what was i saying uh yeah i got a show that is none of that it's not trippy it's not this but it is such a deep show and such a beautiful show mm-hmm. it's called high maintenance okay uh a friend recommended it to me recently even though i'm not a stoner anymore it's that one show i wish that makes me miss weed like uh, but in a very like Sometimes I feel like what I miss about weed the most was an altered consciousness. I don't want to sound too quasi, uh, like, uh, <laughs> deep or anything, yeah. but I always like some of the conversations I had when I was stoned. Yeah. And, uh, high maintenance is filled with those conversations, you know, mm-hmm. where they are suddenly deep, they're suddenly like fading in and out from deep to like casual conversations. Uh, it has, um, Ty Durrell. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. Uh, Ty Burell or Ty Durell? Even I... I from don't. Modern Family. From uh, Broad City. Oh, then he The dentist. Be. Yeah. Uh,
1: ben Sinclair.
3: Ben Sinclair is the lead. Okay. Uh, again, hmm. what a great uh, idea for a show. Uh, it's basically just... he's. A, it's about a weed dealer, but it's hardly about him. It's about the people he deals weed to. Mm-hmm. So every episode is different from the other. <laughs> and uh, they just meet different people. Uh, and they touch possibly every fucking topic man from sexuality Uh, there's one entire like uh, episode dedicated to swingers and uh, an orgy that's about to happen and they find out one person has uh, chlamydia at the party (laughs) Uh, it's amazing Uh, there's one entire episode shot from a dog's point of view it's about a dog and it's just such a great innovative uh, show just two seasons in and uh, it's definitely in my top 10 best shows where can we find it? uh High maintenance Uh, My friend told me It's on It's not on Prime Wait Prime Netflix And what's the third one Hotstar Hotstar I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, again, I can just tell you to watch it on any streaming site like F Movies or uh, One Two Three Movies or Go Movies or mm-hmm. X8 Movies or X Movies. But that'd eight. be illegal. So I don't would do keep that. going. I would keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Do you take this seriously when you get, uh, uh, Are you crazy?
1: The stuff we've spoken about on this show so far, like no, a lot no, no. Of it can land us in jail.
3: I know that, but I'm saying usually when you're surfing the net and suddenly, uh, like I'll give you an example. Lately, when I go to Pirate Pirate Bay, yeah. uh, I get a. Use a VPN You know If yeah, we know your on. If we know your IPN code Then the government Can too And then I'm like Am I supposed to be Stressed out about this Like, just will to scare you All the time Nah I Like don't do they keep scared. blocking it that's is why You can... need to uh, also give up weed. you won't be so scared <laughs> <laughs> Yeah I stopped being Paranoid No after I'm not I scared at all Okay okay. But
1: I generally like Now I'm happy with The streaming yeah, services yeah, that have yeah, provided us yeah. Enough entertainment in general Yeah Because you know what Like these F movies Or whatever these sites are huh. You go to them and then like you want to play, you want to play. You press play, then it goes yeah. to, like four, four fucking uh, ad blocking websites.
3: Naveen, like uh, don't be so nineteenth century. <laughs> there is something called ad blocker. I add that as okay. well. Despite that, <laughs> okay. they open into a different browser. Nope, nope, they nope, do for our... nope, 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 nope. Anyways, okay, ad blocker plus. Okay, you don't have to pay for it. You're yeah. using basic ad blocker. Get ad blocker plus. Oh, I'm a basic uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. in fact can I tell you something a lot mm. of people don't know this there's a different since we recommend shit uh, there's a different ad blocker extension on Chrome just for YouTube do you know that because no. yeah so there's an ad blocker for YouTube so you'll never even have to deal with a fucking YouTube ad ever but that again. ad
1: blocker works on every website so YouTube by it default it does but a
3: lot of times on YouTube I've seen I still get a fucking ad so I'm like no I don't want noodles okay uh, so <laughs> 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 yeah, she says notice right? One yeah. of them does
1: nor or something. She Anyways, so uh, Bob the Drag Queen is this I know yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, Winner of season eight of RuPaul's Drag Race. Mm. Uh, a season you tried to watch. I've,
3: I watched. I recently. I told tried you about to season
1: s- six. No, why do you go to eight all of a sudden?
3: Uh, because Netflix only has season 8 and 9 yeah uh, they had 7 but they removed it such weird fuck people. knows uh, I, I'm not Naveen I'm not gonna get into RuPaul's it's okay I just find it too like seizure induced <laughs> like those lights you know what lights I'm looking at there's that pink background and there are those lights flashing yeah. I literally feel like I might get an epileptic pick <laughs> just watching that and uh, god just those uh, written like uh, like puns that they have you know he constantly has like a pun every time someone walks down the stage you know there is a pun ready it's camp but it's fun Mm. why are you looking for high art in that I'm not looking for high art bro I told you I love I love Fuck. if you want camp and like gross I I like either all the way down or all the way high up Mm. like for example I told you one of my favorite reality, American reality shows which is terrible was baby boo-boo like honey uh, honey boo-boo yeah Yeah. Uh, oh my god like I love that family they just fart on each other all day they like literally they have
1: warts under their necks they
3: they are like morbidly obese they like throw butter at each other for time pass it's like like a really redneck hicks horrible, horrible show but I love that show because it goes all the way it goes all the way there Mm -hmm. you know and uh, Rupal is like I don't know I but, don't know. Maybe I sometimes, huh. so much so that now I'm like, because you know, it's such a big part of when all, with Kitty Sue doing all these gigs and all, I have not been to a single one, right? And mm. I have friends, hey, do you want to go see Bo Derek? Bo Derek? Derek Barry. Derek Barry. Bo Derek is an actor. Oh shit, okay. <laughs> Uh, sorry, uh, <laughs> Bo Derek Barry. is an actress. Yeah, actress. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, the uh, good James Bond. Uh, yeah, I think Bo so. Derek. One of those. Sorry, uh, Derek Dead Barry. She's a Britney Spears impersonator. Oh my God! You know, let's go for that. And I'm like, who's that? And they're like, oh, you don't watch RuPaul? <laughs> and I'm like, mm. yeah. I went. To, I went to one recently
1: where Tammy Brown had come down. Tammy Brown was in season one. Okay. She did not do much. Okay. But, but the crowd, they have a good time irrespective. Like, okay. I noticed one thing about queer parties is that we don't care who's performing in general. Yeah. And that's an experience. I at first hand, at huh. the Bangalore Critico where huh. they came expecting a drag queen, but they saw a fat comic and they were like, You know what, we're not interested. So they oh, went to shit. the bar and made noise. Were and you like, performing? Yeah, I was doing okay, an entire okay. hour's material. Okay. And they were not giving a fuck. So I was like, You know what, I don't care. <laughs> huh. And I think that's one thing about gays in general is that yeah. we just like, we want a space that accepts us as we are and yeah. then lets us do our dancing routine and do our, yes. you know, jing bang thing. Uh. And then we fuck off. That's all we yeah, care yeah, about. Yeah, like, you know, yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. The higher end gays will pay more money to yeah, get into yeah, a nice yeah, club. The lower end will go to the gay bombing parties yeah, yeah, irrespective they do the same thing at every party yeah, but I've yeah, noticed Yeah, so I'm beyond that now yeah shit yeah me too I've uh, not been
3: to a gay like. I would
1: rather have like a small intimate setting with more queer friends who can have like mm. like what we do in the studio
3: right now is that what we are calling orgies nowadays <laughs> <laughs> a quiet intimate setting
1: yeah <laughs> you can catch the entire stream on fmovies.com oh my god Um. so that's it yeah uh, yeah sure yeah, yeah uh, high
3: maintenance
1: towards the end of the season I have given up on farad uh, <laughs> and I no, I'm not going to convince you anymore to watch RuPaul's Drag Race. It's okay. It's not for everybody. What I say. Uh, but yeah, you should watch the untucked episodes. Is what I would say.
3: That's
0: why untucked.
3: all the untucked. I was like, when did you know? The, but yesterday, again, sorry. While I was on Netflix, because uh, I watched Netflix. The, ne, Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sorry. Netflix. On fleek. On fleek. Uh, Netflix. Uh, so it obviously recommended other shows like RuPaul's Drag Race. Skin and Wars. there are tons of yeah. What, what I saw tons. Are there any good ones there? That, drag does nothing. Else. Else. nothing but there were tons of drag shows I saw yeah there's like
1: uh, for me so some, I just movies, honestly
3: like, I love Project Runway so I, I went to Project Runway yeah. after that but like but
1: Project Runway is the one inspiring RuPaul's Drag Race as a as a show you know like they yeah, were like
3: Project Runway is great yeah it's great it had budgets also in <laughs> the beginning So Project Runway is great <laughs> so, this is yeah. budget runway okay <laughs>
1: Cool. cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it from us today on Keeping It Queer. This is the second last episode of the season for us. <laughs> uh, join us next week on the last episode. Uh, it will feature Ashok Rao Kavi, the very famous.
3: Uh, Ashok Rao it Kavi. Ashok Roe Kavi.
1: Uh, it spells it like that,
3: but it's okay, not Ro.
1: Roar, your boat, um, down the stream hmm. And uh, merrily, 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 we <laughs> mm-hmm. shall go and come back next week. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye.